if you'll turn in a copy of God's Word to Galatians 6. If you don't own a Bible, if you don't have one of your own, you'll find out in the entryway out there, uh, a, book, a Bible looks like this, and I'd love to send that home with you. You're very welcome to it. If you're using the Pew Bible, Galatians 6 is found on page 1816. 1816. We are drawing near to the end of Galatians. I think after this we'll be doing some um, topical sermons on a few things and then headed somewhere in the Old Testament, probably Exodus. Uh, and so we'll be finishing out Galatians in the next several weeks. But before we read and um, preach, let's pray and ask the Lord might help us. Father, we pray that you would enter into this time with us as we seek to learn about you through your word. That, Lord, this would not be just a time of someone standing up and talking, but a time of power and a movement of your spirit that you might anoint the preacher, give ears to hear and eyes to see, that we might be changed and grown in your grace. The preacher might decrease, that you might increase all in the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Galatians 6, 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Amen. There is a shift that is happening before us in our culture and especially the culture of the church, not necessarily just our church, but every church. It used to be that the community of church was very important in the fabric of our lives. Membership was um, celebrated, attendance was regular, uh, and love and mutual help was the byword of the day. But if you note across the board, any kind of membership or community involvement is plummeting across our nation. If you're a Rotarian or in Lions Club or any other civic league, you will, you will note next time you're at a meeting that there are very few young people involved. See, we have substituted um, a false community for real community. As our culture begins to look to more and more social media, what we might call drive-by community of texting, which texting's good, Facebook's good, all these things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but as these things become our definition of community, it, it robs us of real community. And the church reflects that across the board, uh, that we value community, true fellowship, Less and less in our culture. But you know, we crave community. We crave real community. To know and to be known. Because see, we are made in the image of God. And God Himself enjoys fellowship, community within Himself, within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
as mysterious as that is. He has no need for fellowship. That's not why he made man. He didn't make man because he was lonely. He has no need. But see, we are made in the image of God, and therefore we have within us not just the capability, but desire and design for community. Church involvement is important uh, for lots of reasons. We can think of many theological ones. The church is the means by which God extends his kingdom. It is how the, the word is preached and hearts respond in faith as the spirit moves to the preaching of his word. Um, it, is, uh, uh, it is here that we learn and grow in the grace of Christ. The Bible in nowhere has uh, a picture of a Christian, a person of faith in the Old and New Testaments that does not belong to the church. But you know, as we as we focus less on, our culture does, the community that we have together in Christ, in the local church, there are also practical ramifications. I've had the um, opportunity to be involved in some funerals in the past that, in which there was no real connection to a local church. And there's such a marked difference between when one of God's own in a, in a Bible-believing church dies and the, and the church rallies together around that family and provides love and caring and a, and a shoulder to cry on and, and practical helps like food and presence. As opposed when you're not part of a community of faith and there is no one there beyond the first day or so. There, there are practical things that we lose when the church is not a priority in our lives, both ours individually, but also as a broader community. One of the blessings that we have that is highlighted in this text is, is the privilege of bearing each other's burdens. See, we are the family of God. We're not just individuals. This isn't a country club, as, as good as country clubs are. This is not a country club. A country club, you go and you eat your food and you play golf and you wave to each other and, uh, and then you go home. There's no real connection beyond that. The church is not like that. We are a family with obligations and duties to one another. When we baptized Landry a few weeks ago, we took that vow together as a congregation to help his family. To raise him in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We make commitments to each other. We take vows to love and serve one another. And one of those things is we enter into our, each other's lives and help bear each other's burdens. That's what this text is about this today. That, that we are called to, to bear each other's burdens. To help when things get bad. Which is often, really. To help each other when we fall into sin. But you know, in order to do this as a family, we must prepare must prepare for this. We never know when we're going to be called upon to help bear someone else's burden. It may happen tomorrow. It may happen this afternoon. And the time to prepare is now. So this morning I want to look at this tension of this call that we are to bear each other's burdens and also the call to prepare now that we might be equipped to do that. I want to start in verse 2. Verse 2 is speaking generally about bearing each other's burdens, and we'll go to verse 1 in a minute that speaks more specifically about helping each other when we are in sin. We are told in verse 2 that we ought to bear each other's burdens and therefore so fulfill the law of Christ, which most commentators agree is, is, is Christ's command to not only love God with every fiber of your being, but also to love your neighbor as yourself. That when we bear each other's burdens, we are fulfilling the second half of the Ten Commandments. The second table of the Ten Commandments. To love God is the first table. To love each other 
is the second table, uh, Commandments 5 through 10. What kind of burdens are these? What's any kind of burden? Any kind of burden. Our lives are one of burden, aren't they? We are either coming out of a burden or uh, maybe have a, a, a momentary um, minute to, to catch our breath, and then we're about to head back into another trial or hardship. And in fact, I found that as I get older, I'm exceedingly old now at the age of 30, that uh, you know, I find that, that life is no longer just looking for those times there are no trials. It is seeking to live life faithfully amidst trials that come and go like a carousel. These burdens I would define as any difficulty or hardship created by the impact of the fall in all areas of life. Any difficulty or hardship created by the impact of the fall in all areas of life. The fall, when, when Adam and Eve fell and, and God cursed Satan and Adam and Eve and the ground, everything was affected, our relationships, our work. Everything was affected. Think about the burdens we bear at work. Burdens only known by you, perhaps. Perhaps difficult bosses, internal politics, frustrating relationship with coworkers. I know you've never had any tension with a coworker. Injustices, even violations of the law, perhaps even persecution. But perhaps it's not that at all. Maybe it's failure. Have you ever taken a job that you couldn't do well? I know I have, and that's a, that's a tough place to be. Unemployment or even underemployment. We face great burdens at work. We also face burdens at home, don't we? Marriage is tough. Marriage takes work. Cruise control in marriage is never an option. If you're in cruise control, then you're on a downward slide. You know, you go fastest when you're going down, right? Communication may be broken down between spouses or patterns of sin may be gutting the marriage or even a lack of presence may be destroying any semblance of love. You must be present. Little children can have health problems. Elementary age kids can have trouble at school, difficulty making friends, behavioral issues. Do I need to tell anybody that has had a teenager that those are years of many burdens? Um, College and grown children may run away from the Lord. And turn away from the paths of righteousness. As parents grow, careers and personal goals have to be sacrificed and put on hold. As the death of spouses decline and deteriorate, great burdens ensue. You know, there are all types of burdens this side of heaven. We will not be free of them until we reach the other side of the Jordan on Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. But we are called to help bear them. We must be honest about these burdens. Do we try to live in such a way that, that we um, fight the idea that we have burdens? Or do we realize that God has called us to a life of living faithfully amidst the burdens to which He calls us? We are called to help each other bear them. And this is, this is the great privilege of being part of a community of faith. That as you look around you this morning, here are the people who will help you get through the great burdens in your life. Whatever they are. These are the people that have taken vows to love you, to help you. How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, I think the first thing we have to pursue is a community of faith that is defined by the gospel. 
See, if we do not believe the gospel in deep ways each and every day, we will never be honest about the fact that we have burdens in our lives. Because if we don't believe the gospel, then, then we must define ourselves by our successes and the fact that we have everything together. We have to put up this facade that everything's okay, everything's right, and I don't need any help. I surely don't need your help. But the gospel says that we are defined not by our actions or our failures, but we are defined by what Christ has done for us and his perfect obedience and his perfect record. Because we are saved not by our works, but by our faith, through grace through faith, what he has done for us, we can be honest about the fact that we have real problems. In order to help each other, we must know each other. We must make our needs known. This means we must be involved in each other's lives. That we can't just view church as a country club. That we have to be involved in each other's lives. Practicing hospitality, being each other's homes, calling each other and asking how you're doing. Asking, okay, I know you said you're okay, but how are you really doing? I don't want the southern answer of, oh, I'm just fine. Your arm's off and you're bleeding out. You're not fine. How are you really doing? The second, we must be engaged in prayer for each other. This is the greatest tool in bearing each other's burdens, to pray with and for someone. For in prayer we have the ability and the privilege of taking before the very throne of grace, the only place where anything can change, and telling our Savior and our God of the problems which we seek to help someone Bear. Even Christ prayed for his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane for their unity and for the future that they would face. We also must be present. Presence is very important. This is why church attendance is a good thing. Now, your salvation is not based upon church attendance. Uh, but we have to be present. We have to be present in order to love each other and to learn and what's going on in our lives. If we just show up once a year, then how are we going to know what's really going on? Yeah, I can think of many times in my own lives where people have entered into helping bear my burdens. Thomas had acid reflux, and y'all, for the first three months of his life, he never stopped screaming. I mean, it, it was just, it was a very horrendous and hard time, and we had these sweet folks in our church who would come, and, and they would hold Thomas. And Thomas didn't stop screaming for him. But they got to enjoy holding him for two hours as he screamed, and we got a little bit of time away. That's what it looks like to bear a burden. It costs something, but it was very much needed. I was unemployed for a while between seminary and my first call, and many people showed up and helped and sent in checks and helped us with rent. Facing anxiety and depression in that time, the Lord sent many a, a friend in seminary and church to help us. And many of you can give great testimonies of how the Lord has ministered to you through other people and, and have helped bear your burdens. And this is what we're here for, to bear each other's burdens. But contextually, if we back up one verse, we see that this text is not only talking about general burdens, but also specifically our responsibility to each other when someone is caught in sin. Let's look at verse 1 again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The problem here is one of a brother or sister, one of our own, a Christian, a family member, someone we've made vows to, that is suddenly caught in sin. 
The word called up here seems to indicate something that is a sudden thing. He may not realize what's going on or even the depth of his sin. And we have a duty to go and speak to him. See, here's the thing that is much easier just to live lives that that we are far enough apart, most reserved from each other, that we don't get too close to see the messy stuff. It's much more convenient, much more easy. But we are called to examine our, our own selves, make sure there's not a log in our own eye before we go to someone who has a speck in theirs. We are called to restore, restore that person. Do you see that the goal of this is not to... Uh, Say, I told you so, even if you did. It's not to do those things which come so naturally to us, like gossip, judge, slander, punish, ignore, or shun. No, the word here is restore. It's the same word that is used in Matthew chapter 4 to speak of the disciples mending their nets, restoring their nets. It's to uh, restore someone or something to its full use in spiritually healthy state. The goal is the the good of the person out of love. I know I've shared this before, but I've been both the um, initiator of this process and also the recipient. Uh, I know my RUF minister in college had to come to me, and I've been disrespectful to him, and I had no clue, and it happened more than once. I was a snot-nosed college kid who had everything together and you know, uh, struggled with legalism, and um, apparently I'd said some very hurtful things, had no clue, and He came to me and had to call me out. You know, I did the exact same thing. It's amazing how the things you struggle with kind of just keep coming back up. And right before we moved here, I'd done the same to my brother. He had to sit me down over Panera breakfast and say, hey, you've just been a jerk. And um, he was right. And I had to repent of my sin. I was caught up in sin. But he sought to restore me. Not to gossip about me. Not to talk bad behind me to my other uh, members of the family. But he sought to restore me. I'm very thankful he did. Matthew 18 lays out this process of of going alone, maybe perhaps numerous times, and then maybe with another witness, another person to go with you. And then finally, if someone is fully caught in sin and has no intention of repenting, you take it to the church. The elders are called lovingly to enter into church discipline, to call someone to repentance. Okay, well, here's the thing. This is what we're called to do, but there are also qualifications in this passage of, of who's to do it and how we're to do it. And we've got to prepare now in order that we might be ready to enter into the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ. The time is not the day of to start preparing. The time is now. How should we prepare? The first thing that we see in, in in verse 1, rather, is that those who are spiritual are called to restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Now, spiritual here is not just someone who has it all together. This is not like there are some Christians here, and then there are the really spiritual Christians up here. You know, it's not the normal people here, and then you've got the missionaries up here. You know, I grew up thinking that missionaries kind of had a, a glow about them. You know, they could never do anything wrong. If you ever had a problem, you just called a missionary. You called him from wherever he was in the field, and then he'd come back, and it would just be all right. You know, you had normal Christians, and you had missionaries. That's not what's going on here. If you look at the context, what we've been talking about the last few weeks in Galatians chapter 5 is that this is a person who is led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, and living in the Spirit. And whose life is, is, is exhibiting not the works of the flesh, which lead to death, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And such a person is the one who is defined as spiritual, one who has the Spirit and is pursuing the Lord on a daily basis, equipped to resist temptation lest they also fall, which is one of the caveats here. Pursuing the Lord that they might find wisdom to know what to do in very difficult situations. A person who is pursuing the Lord and is able to give help when needed. But also gentleness. This might be done in gentleness. When we confront others in sin, being harsh is never helpful. Was Jesus harsh with us? And that's the final question, isn't it? We find in Matthew 11 why we come. So we're told to come to him all who are weary and heavy laden. Why is he attractive? Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me why. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. I think people want to have a clean conscience. But when they expect you to respond with a harsh tone, they won't come. We're also told to be humble. Verse 3, If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Humility is a prerequisite in all areas of life. For James 4 tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But humility is needed. The humble person realizes that no sin is unforgivable. The humble person realizes that apart from the grace of God, he will be in the exact situation or worse. A humble person doesn't judge from the moral high ground, making sure that his disapproval is known, but climbs down in the trenches and helps bear the burden of the brother in need, walking hand in hand, no matter how much filth and sacrifice he must endure. Christian and I like to watch a show called The West Wing. It's, it's been uh, off the air for a long time. And there was this great illustration that someone gave. and told the story of a man walking down a sidewalk. And there was this large hole. And he heard these cries, help, help. And he walked over and he leaned down. And sure enough, there was a guy on the ground who had fallen into the pit looking up, crawling, calling out for help. The next thing you know, the guy on the street had jumped down into the hole with him. The guy, the guy looked at him and said, are you crazy? Now we're both down here. He said, yeah, but I know the way out. And I'm going to help you. The humble person uses past experiences and past failures, because we all have them, to enter into the lives and sufferings of others that we might help in time of need. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that God comforts us all in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are, are, who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, God has comforted us, therefore let us comfort others. But here's the thing, pride goes both ways, doesn't it? We cannot be proud, we must be humble when we go to help others, or we'll do great harm. But also, when we're in need, we must be humble. It is a prideful and sinful heart that is not asked for help when needed. There may be those here in this room who need to humble themselves that they might ask others for help. For we are not called to bear our burdens alone. We have entered into community together that we might help others and that we might be helped by others when there is need.
Finally, there's tension in this text, isn't there? Look at verses 4 and 5. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Each will have to bear his own load. So we are called to bear each other's burdens, but we're also told that each must bear his own load. These are two different words in the Greek, but um, the one who goes to help must do it in a responsible manner, not to point to dependency or even codependency but one that seeks to restore the person back to their own two feet. Well, this is all well and good, but, but how can we do this? Why should we do this? My friends, we but have to look to the example of Christ and what He's done for us. For what has Christ done for us? He has borne our burdens. He has borne our burdens, and He continues to help us in time of need. Um, be still and know that I am God. God promises never to leave us or forsake us. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells that he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. There's nothing to which God does not call us. He does not also give us the strength to do. Now, he calls us all the time to do things uh, that are beyond us, that we don't have the strength to do. But he also promises to give us the grace to get through it. That in our weakness he is strong. His power is made perfect and exhibited for the world to see. Therefore I will celebrate and boast all the more in my weaknesses. Why? In order that Christ might be glorified. But we see upon the cross the greatest example of what it means to bear a load. Bear a burden. For it is here that our burden, the burden of the guilt of our sin, was placed upon his shoulders. And He bore that for us willingly because He loves us. And He loves you. Has He borne your load? Has He borne your sin? Isaiah spoke of this some 700 odd years before Christ was born. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Here it is. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Oh Father, we thank you that the load that we could not bear was placed upon our Savior. And even as if a, a large rucksack filled with stones that we cannot ever bear were suddenly taken off of us and we have been freed forever from the guilt, and the power of sin. We thank you that even now you enter into our lives the ministry of the Spirit helping us to bear the loads which you have placed before us. O oh Lord, we pray that we would avail ourselves of your help, seeking not to stumble in this world as we seek to, in our own strength, go throughout life amidst its trials and hardships. But Lord, we might look to you and seek your help. And Father, we pray that we would seek your help through the help of others. We thank you that you have entered into covenant not just with us, but within our community of faith, our covenant community of faith, that we would lay down our pride and ask for help when needed, 
that we would lay aside our own interests and priorities and enter into the lives of others that we might seek to help them. Lord, in all these things that you might be glorified in our lives, we thank you in the name of our friend Jesus. Amen.